Radhika Jones, Editor-in-Chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. That's not fucking cool. Um, well, it's really well edited. Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy. And I'm Richard Lawson. Time to put on our matching co-host bomber jackets as we discuss the sixth episode of the HBO series Succession, Living Plus. Living Plus. <laughs> Living Plus. And later on, the director of this episode, Lorreen Scafaria, will be stopping by to talk about living in a Waystar Royco wonderland and the mental anguish that comes along with it. But first, a quick recap. We're off to Hollywood for Investor Day. Hooray for fucky wood. Shiv's private jet flirtation with Matson reveals her brothers went behind her back to try to tank the deal. Shiv, I mean, it was, it was plain was to tell you, we were, mm-hmm. honestly, we were protecting you. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, don't get mud on my confirmation dress. Thanks so fucking much. Division among the siblings begins to grow as Roman fires a studio head and then Jerry. You are a weak monarch in a dangerous no. interregnum. No. And I think you need to reconsider. This is something that dad would have done. And oh, you know well, it. maybe. But you're not your dad. Kendall goes full tilt into creative accounting as he presents a new venture, Living Plus. Big, big shoes. Big, big shoes. Big shoes. Big hat. Big nervous breakdown. An idea Matson hates so much, he tweets his contempt. Doderick macht frei. That's a very nasty joke, yeah, right? Yeah, that's what, that's... A, that's a Holocaust joke Look who from our from. choir. Look who so from. we might need to strategize. Meanwhile, in between scheduled grief cries, Shiv's love triangle with Tom and Matson continues to get more complicated. What? It's just not like, oh, because you want to suck him off? You think that, <laughs> that I must want to fuck him? You think we're all going to live together in a big old Matson house, you know, fucking each other and singing Matson songs? Still keeping all your options open, honey. Chris, I think the big question of the episode, well, for the viewers of the episode, is would you live in Living Plus? <laughs> wow. Uh, a cruise, a land cruise. A, with some f- uh, favorite characters from the Waystar universe. People, dr- director's cuts of movies. The and actors are going to stop by. S- stopping by. I'm going to respectfully pass, <laughs> personally. Yeah. Uh, retirement community that is shoveling content at you it doesn't really sound like my idea of a good time. And I was going to ask you, Reliving Plus, what is a worse idea, the 100 or Living Plus? Oh, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there, 
both. I mean, I think the funny thing about both The 100 and Living Plus is that, like, you're watching the show and you're like, okay, guys, like, this is a little too cartoony. This isn't that real world. But then they always shade it in just the right. And you're like, no, actually, that's totally credible. Totally credible. Like, the Living Plus thing where he, when Kendall's giving a speech and he's, like, talking about how it's going to have discreet security. And it's like, oh, this is for rich white people who feel terrified that, like, Black Lives Matter is going to come get them and they want to hoard resources and as the world burns outside. (laughs) Going to offer them total peace of mind as if anything could do that. But that's what the Fox News set wants to hear. They want gated communities. They want all that. They want to buy New Zealand citizenship in case things really go south. Mm -hmm. But they also want to see their culture, you know, their Kalispatrons and see, you know, Chris Pratt or whoever the celebrity is that they care about drop in. It's creating this fantasy. It's so funny to me and so darkly funny, which Succession is doing such a great job this season that they're introducing this concept of living plus that was created by their dead dad. Their dad is dead. <laughs> right. right. And the idea is living plus and everybody's <laughs> just going to go on living forever and whatnot. And that tension is so funny, but it does offer this sort of paradise for the Fox News set, which is their prime demographic. So while I thought it was such a dumb idea the whole entire episode, by the end of the episode, it's like doing gangbusters. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. People love it. People love it. I mean, there are people in our real world who live on Disney property in Florida and not just the town that they incorporated. They don't have, they don't run that town anymore. Celebration. But like there are like luxury homes, well over a million dollars that you can buy. And you're a hop, skip and a jump from Magic Kingdom in Orlando. That in our real world, is not so closely tied with a cons- an arch-conservative yes. <laughs> news network. True. Um, so, yes, I think in the world of this show, especially hammering that security thing again and again in, in Kendall's speech, like, they are tr- creating a utopia for, I guess, like, the Waystar version of Disney adults. Yeah, no, really. But also for the terrified people who could afford to do this who really just think that they want the rest of the world to go away. Yeah, exactly that. And the way, though, like when we get the cynical way of putting it. The fact we're planning to warehouse the elderly and keep them drunk on content while we suck them dollar dry. It becomes a little bit less, you know, of a utopia, a little bit less mm-hmm. of paradise. Right. It's more capitalist and greedy uh, engine becomes uh, clear. Yeah. And perhaps the most chilling part, I thought, of Kendall's speech, which started obviously horribly, horribly and I could barely watch it and then kind of ends weirdly with a mini triumph for him in some ways. But the idea that you appeal to the sort of pretend regular folk that Kendall is speaking to by saying, we're going to let you into the secret billionaire healthcare world. Yeah. <laughs> like that's grotesque. Yeah, it's grotesque. You're going to live for 10, 20, 50 years longer than right. you're supposed to live. Maybe. Maybe. But it also, not only is it grotesque and taking advantage of, I think, everyone's fear of death, but again, it's so closely tied. And we open with Brian Cox again. He's back, mm-hmm. you know, even though he's dead. It's a little bit of a gag moment where you're like, wait. I thought you were dead, and he is dead. It's just a video of you know of him in front of a green sc- screen. It's so closely tied to their father's death and their grief and them processing it and how much they wish they could have extended his life and said the things that they never said to him. When it's clearly a bad idea, Lucas tells uh, Shiv, he's like, I don't want this. I Real estate isn't tech. We learned that from WeWork, actually. So like, right. we know that houses, even Greg is smart enough to say, um, the reason why we can't really call it tech is because houses have, have existed for a very long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Greg has a very salient point. Um, and maybe he, maybe he watched We Crashed, I don't know, yeah. with Anne Hathaway <laughs> Jared Leto. But. Honestly, he probably did. Yeah. But Kendall and Roman's sort of not even obsession, but attachment to Living Plus and to launching it, even though, and really it's mostly Kendall, yeah. more so than Roman, is so clearly tied to this sort of like fear of death and grief about their father's death that as a business idea and a model, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, they're not selling anything that doesn't exist. It sounds like a hotel. It's like, what's a land cruise? It's sort of it's a hotel. A fucking, it's a retirement community. It's a planned community. It's a planned community. It, my grandparents used to live in one in Orlando. like At the Disney Resort. <laughs> well, no. Um, if, if that were the case, my sister and I would have exploded years ago. We would have been, it would have been too exciting. We were close enough to Disney World. Yeah. But I think you're totally right that obviously this weird idea that was being kind of resurrected from their father that they that Kendall kind of pathetically as the episode goes on tries to claim as his own thing. Yeah. These guys are a week or so into their stewardship of the company and they're already sort of out of their own ideas um, if they ever had them. But I was thinking about it watching the episode for a second time that if you wanted to be like kind of 
put a sort of structure around it, like the five stages of grief, like DABDA, like denial, anger, bargaining, Bargaining. depression, acceptance. Yeah. Kendall seems to be in the sort of denial phase of like, I'm going to put my dad on a screen. I'm going to put words in his mouth. Like, dad's not gone. Am I dad? Am I resurrection (laughs) of dad? Like, and whereas... Roman is in anger. Anger. He's angry. Uh, Shiv, I don't know what she's up to. That's a whole... We'll we'll get get to her later. But, like, watching Kendall so obviously make dumb, emotionally driven mistakes while trying to emulate his father's tenacity, it's like, Kendall... The thing animating that is something that Logan killed it himself decades prior yeah. if he ever had it. Mm-hmm. like Which he probably didn't have it, honestly. Yeah. And I think that's been the tragedy of Kendall since the beginning of the se- of the series where it's just like he wants to be this man. But unfortunately, he like feels too much of the world. <laughs> yeah. He's you know? too empathetic, if you will, or he's too, into, he's too much of an empath. That's he's Kendall's like having problem. breakdowns at investor summits. like, And I feel for him. But then, of course, he's still – a Vainglorious asshole. Yeah, I mean, this was such a tricky Kendall episode, and it's such a good Kendall episode. I think it's been a little bit. He hasn't really come to the forefront in a couple episodes, I think, where on one hand, you see him, like, in his birthday party mode, like, high school drama teacher. I'm running the show. I'm going to build. We're going to build this set. We're going to have clouds. All of these ridiculous things that can't happen, right? And he's sort of high on his own supply, shouting out business phrases that I don't even know, like, business jargon that I don't even think really exists. Right. Like, we're going to take it to the moon, shoot it to the moon. We're going to pump up the, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's all <laughs> this kind of stuff that I think he thinks sounds flashy, but means nothing. It means nothing. And he has no idea what he's doing. And it's clear the whole entire time that he has no grasp on either the numbers mm-hmm. and is just making up numbers to fulfill this fantasy. In a way that feels criminal. It's criminal. Deeply criminal. <laughs> and or like borderline at least. Oh, yeah. 100%. And in a way that like poor Peter, you know, the numbers guy, is given no choice. How each of the siblings wield their power this episode I think is so interesting. And Kendall, he cannot hear no. He refuses to hear the word no, and he's willing to just make up anything and make and force people who have no power against him to bend to his will. And I'm surprised. Like, I expected the numbers to blow up in his face by the end of the episode because, right. because I'm naive and I forgot that Theranos existed and I forgot that all of these other well, companies— Well, Kendall says it's almost enough— to make you like not believe in capitalism because you're like you can just say anything. Yeah. As long as it drives the share price up, which is what they're trying to do to make it too expensive for Madsen to buy. But yeah, like I, I think that there is a, a very deliberate reason why this episode opens with Logan trying to give the spiel about this living community and getting stopped and being asked, oh, actually, could you do it again with a little more excitement? <laughs> so what Kendall's trying to do is like that part. He's like, no, I'm going to like amp it up. I'm going to pump it up. Yes. And it's like, but I think he thought that that was what he was bringing to the table. He's not crusty old dad. He's a dynamo. He's mm-hmm. popular. People like him. No one likes him. No one likes um, him. But I think he kind of thought that when he actually did step into the CEO job or the co-CEO job, that the rest of it would click into place somehow. A switch would flip and he would have this business savvy that he kind of, I think, deep down knows he's never had. He's never had. I think he really thought he would be the best of both worlds. Instead, you have him going into La La Land, kind of wrestling a success out of it. And then on the other side, Roman, who is trying to mimic his father's bellicose fire, whoever gets in your way kind of thing. But doing that, again, out of this emotional Emotional, pain that, again, Logan, at least as far as we knew him, that's not where he was operating from. Absolutely. And Roman, his sort of rampage against women, just firing anyone who tries to reason with him to any degree. It sort of brought up a theory to me, which this might be not true. I haven't taken Psych 101 in a long time. I took Mm -hmm. Psych 101 in college. But to me, Roman was so purely acting out of like an id place, just like, and he sort of is that, right? He's like purely instinct. He's sort of like sexually wild. He's just completely impulsive. And then Shiv is kind of a super ego, sort of like of the three siblings, the moral conscious, you know, hates ATN, wants to go forward with Pierce. And then Kendall is sort of the ego of them all, like sort of in between them, maybe more rational than Roman, but clearly still emotional and not totally morally, not superior, but um, not the super ego. So I, I felt like, oh, my God, like Roman is the id. 
Kendall is the ego, and Shiv is the super ego of this hive mind that is the Roy siblings. Yeah. I don't know if that scans, but I think that scans. I think it scans, and I think also this is the first episode, really. Last week, when they were in Norway, they were on someone else's turf. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, they were running the company, but it was sort of they were playing de- deferential to to Matson and yeah. his, his there was a king there. his crew. But this episode, now they're on their turf. Mm-hmm. Now it's really okay. We've got the investor summit. Let's see how you do. Yeah, and it do- doesn't work. Super <laughs> ego doesn't work, and Shiv is kind of doing her own thing yeah. and actually pulling some strings behind the scenes. Totally. But like, it's pathetic to watch the two brothers just flail at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the case of Roman. Frustrating and sort of, I mean, not that Jerry is a great person or I don't know much about Joy, the the studio head who has maybe been fired. But like this kind of destruction and Jerry tries to tell him this, this is not going to work in the same way that Carl tells Kendall. You have my dick in your hand, Ken, but I've got yours in mine. So let's get real. If you say anything that I don't like up there or make me look foolish, I'll fucking squeal. I'm surprised by how quickly they're making a mess of everything. Yeah. It's really sort of crazy. And I mean, for Jerry and Carl, but I was really thinking for Jerry, she it felt Shakespearean. Like mm-hmm. that scene, she was the soothsayer in uh, Julius Caesar. Be like, beware of the ads. You know, something yeah. bad's going to happen. You should listen to me. She's Cassandra. She can see the future. She can see the writing on the wall. And Roman is like the dark prince who was emotionally distraught and has power and wields it from an emotionally impulsive way and it's gonna blow up in his face and but he does have at least some what some <laughs> some notion that maybe he's gone too far yeah but then kendall tweedledee and tweedledum is like actually no it's fine fire shiv's godmother jerry right fire, fire her fine that's what it's we all about do. big moves right now big which moves. is such a dumb obviously kendall thing to say in that like no, it's not just making any stupid big move. You ha- These have to be big moves that are considered, that are strategic, that are forward thinking. And that's the part of the equation that Kendall always seems to miss. And Roman is missing in this episode, too, which is like Logan, for all of his faults, was not just bluster. Yeah. Like the, he knew what he was doing. He was sort. He was something of a fortune teller in the business world, at least for a while. I mean, maybe toward the end he was sort of lagging. But Jerry's saying to Roman, like, You cannot win against the money. The money is going to wash you away. Mm-hmm. Your dad knew. Mm-hmm. Tech is coming. We are over. Okay. Make your accommodation. This is a simple business decision. You are not good at your job. Maybe dad did know. Roman is so blinded by like the grief with his dad and, and annoyed when anyone insults his father, but also annoyed that when people say that he's not as good as his father, which is kind of a conflicted yes. kind of thing in him. And then he acts like a child, though. Yeah. And that's the thing. is yeah. like he deserves to be scolded like a child because then his response is completely childlike and it's emotional and it's... And it's complete. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah. And lest we forget that he demands Jerry to respect him, honey. You sent her a dick pic unsolicited, not three months. I mean, timeline right. it, be damned. It was not that long. Ago. It was not that long ago yeah. that you sexually harassed her in a workplace. Right. And also that had been preceded by. A lot of very weird psychosexual stuff between yes. the two of them, kind of punishment, you know, you know, dom sub kind of stuff, and which has fun and as as much as the internet loves it, as much as we love it, and it's yeah. so fun to watch. He was always in a position of power over her as the son of her boss, so it was always the power dynamics were always fucked. Even though she's older and more senior and whatnot, what was she going to do? So I think Jerry, we'll see if she really, really got fired or because she was sitting at the presentation, you know, in her perch mm-hmm. with Frank and Carl living large. But there could be a really interesting thing coming if he actually tries to fire Jerry and she's like, well, I have your penis on my phone. Why is your penis on my phone? Right. Right. Oh, thank you. Um, scandal. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, oh, no. It's um, how to get away with murder. How to get away with murder. Yes. How to get yeah. away with murder. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I don't think Jerry's gone for good. She better But I'm glad that she stood up to Roman and really told him that he's being an asshole and, and a child, a petulant child. Yeah. And then I think the punctuation point at the end of the episode for Roman of him listening to the edit, watching the edited video of his father debasing him yeah. is like Roman does not know how to function when the sort of threat is not looming over him. You mm-hmm. know, he was always good at sort of squirming around daddy and like courting his favor. And he would always kind of like retreat, sucking his thumb back to his the lap of, of home, you yeah. know. We saw that right before Logan died. And now that he doesn't have that, all he can do is 
you know, he's a baby with a gun. And he's blindly shooting anyone who comes near him. Yeah. And they need to take the gun away from <laughs> they him. They really do. And I'm also curious, you mentioned, you know, the fact that Jerry does potentially have something if it were ever to get to that on Roman and like, oh, here was this sexual harassment thing that was just swept under the rug. What did you make of Carl saying to Kendall, I'll talk or whatever he said? I'll, I'll squeal. I'll squeal. Does he know about the, the, the car death? I... I don't have a fully uh, comprehensive knowledge of everything that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you if you remember, listeners, yeah, please. please email us yeah. in. Because I was Carl one of the people who was brought into that. I don't think so, though. I don't think so. My gut is telling me I don't think so. I will say I think Spicy Carl emerged as one of my favorite characters yeah. <laughs> this season because yeah. then he reverts right back. Yeah. you know, to like his like sort of affable, affable. Yeah. You yeah. know, once it goes well, he's like, yeah, no, we're all yeah. good. Like you're you're a king. I think Carl is in our sanctum. So I think he, I mean, even the death aside, I think there's so much that he could say and there's so much that he could do. He does have this power that Kendall and Roman and, you know, the siblings don't respect because it was earned rather than given. Right. (laughs) Right? It's because he, like, did his job for 20 years, like, relatively well. (laughs) Which, of course, these dodo birds who were just born into it don't realize. It's like, Carl, like, who knows? I don't know where Carl came from. Maybe he was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. Likelihood that he probably was, given his position. But, like, he has been doing this work. And apparently he did great stuff with Cable in the 90s. Cable in the 90s. Like, he has been working at this not because of a family relation, but because Logan, for whatever reason, kept him around year after year, decade after decade. And these kids are just like, no, you just kind of like osmose it, right, through like being near our dad. And it's fun watching them get talkings to from these people who actually know what they're talking yeah, about. Yeah, even if they're old, even if they're dinosaurs, they do actually know more in this arena, it seems, yeah. than Kendall and Roman. And I do want to say before we move on from Jerry, Emmy alert, Jay Smith Cameron, her line reading on... I am good at my job. Shall we get started on the paperwork? When Roman comes for her work and her life is her work, that broke my heart. That was so great. Uh, Jay, oh, it's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. And now that Sarah Snook is in the lead actress category, let's just... Oh, which w- we'll, we should get into, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I see a pathway for Jay. But I do think with Roman sort of losing his marbles one week into the job and just firing just everyone. I, we, we have to give Logan some credit. He started getting like Mad King crazy like 50 years into the job. <laughs> like right, it's like, right. it wasn't he, a week. It wasn't a week into the job that he was like, I don't trust Jerry. Like he had, there's a reason that Carl, Jerry and Frank were there for years and years and years and years. I mean, we see in the first episode he fires Frank and then he brings him back. But there was a steadiness and a self-assuredness that Logan had and his dealings with people and his colleagues that Roman and Kendall simply don't have. And yet, Kendall, when push came to shove, even though that presentation was so cringy and (laughs) he was giving drama school director like before the presentation, then during the presentation, he trots out the hologram of Logan, Mm -hmm. a la Kanye trotting out Kim Kardashian's dead father for her 40th birthday. I mean, the writers are very, like, they know cultural references and whatnot. I mean, last week we had the noise-canceling headphones, Leo and the <laughs> right. and Greg. Right. How uh, Lucas Matson likes to have sex in that way. I was like, okay, you've definitely read Dumont. Um, and now we have Kendall and the hologram, which weirdly provides Kendall with maybe, like, one of his most honest moments and honest conversations with his father at the end of the episode. And then at the end of the episode, he's, like, floating in the the ocean, which, if we remember last season, he was drowning in the pool. Right. Yeah. And now he is floating in the ocean. Yeah. What do you think that all means for our friend Kendall? I mean, I don't—I still don't think Kendall's had it anywhere good. Mm-hmm. But he did, at least in this moment, he handled the Matson tweet, which was a reference to— the words on the fence, the the gate to, to Auschwitz, were work will set you free. Instead, yeah. he changed it to Roderick or Daughteric. Daughteric, who is one of the characters from the parks. Daughteric and friends. Daughteric will set you free. So he's you know calling these living plus a concentration camp basically. Yes. Um. You know he he didn't handle that that well, but he he didn't make a further mess of it mm-hmm. during his speech. When it started to go well, was when he just was kind of like raw, more honest, Kendall. And like a little emotional. Well, if you ask me, would I take an extra year right now with my dad? Say the unsaid. That would be priceless. Uh, Yeah, I miss you, Dad. I love you, Dad. He was himself rather than trying to emulate something that he's seen Steve Jobs do on at one of the Apple summits or whatever. Like he was when he stopped pretending for a second, he seemed most genuine. And so I think that. 
while you could read the end of him, like, you know, in the ocean and as being like, he's cleansed now, he's rid himself of these pretensions. No, I think it's more that he is now like, I'm baptizing myself as the, the true heir apparent. I think he's <laughs> taken all the wrong lessons yeah. of in humility from that experience. And obviously, he knows he's lied about the numbers. Yeah. But like, I think in that moment, he's... It's triumphant in a way that feels reckless. Yes, that feels reckless. And it goes back, I do, not to harp on the word ego with him, but like with Kendall, it's so clear to see when his ego is bruised. For him to have this sort of public showing of humility, and we saw shades of that when he asked Stewie, like, can you just help me out, bro? Like, he's done that before. He's sort of asking for help and being a little bit more honest and letting down this... I listen to rap music and I'm, you know, this boss and I can just come in and do things my way. We still saw plenty of that mm-hmm. in yeah. this episode and with his entrance song and with the presentation. But there was a moment towards the end of the presentation where he drops the ego, he drops the facade, he drops the the bluster and the trying to pretend to be his dad. And he honestly says, living plus would be great because if I could have a little bit more time with my dad... I would love that. And that, I think, is probably what people probably responded positively to. But then immediately, Kendall takes – he's such a theater kid. He takes the good press that he got from it. And in the room, he's just – I feel like he has no idea what worked. What He's no idea what he said no, that worked. Just that it went well. Just that it went well. And so he's going to take all the wrong lessons from it. Yeah. Um, and, and he has that sort of like kid like with the stage makeup still on in the lobby of the theater at college or whatever, like talking to his well-wishers. He's like, oh, I just don't even remember, you know. It's just <laughs> I, all I blur. I blacked out. It's all blur. You know, it, it's, you're told, I, I mean, I've been that kid, obviously. I am that kid um, often. <laughs> and uh, you're right. It's really funny. But that's exactly right. He doesn't know what – he. I think he thinks that like the big shoes – big shoes. I think he thinks that worked. Yeah, he thinks all yeah. of it worked because yeah. he thinks that he is this vessel from Logan to sort of yeah. inherit the company. He stepped into the... Stepped into his light, stepped into his power. And it's like, no, you sort of fumbled 80% of it, but the 20% of it you you did get sort of right yeah. was enough. And he was lucky that Lucas just made such a fool. We do... This is actually maybe a good transition to Shiv because... It was so funny, like the Lucas and Shiv at the beginning of the episode and they're sort of flirting and him like the shoeless walking, them talking on their two separate private jets. Just that was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And he walks over shoeless, weird CEO, and says, The deal is going through with velocity and lots of it, lots of you I, I really like, mm-hmm. but lots of it I also really hate. Lots of rooms I never want to go into. Shiv sort of tries to convince Kendall not to go through with it. We get that scene with Roman, and she gets Roman on board. Roman tries to get Kendall not to go through with it. It's too little, too late. And then Kendall, part of his win, and part of Kendall and Roman's plan was to paint Lucas like some erratic, you know, like he had this big outburst on top of the mountain, like he's this erratic CEO. The weird thing is, like, they lied. He didn't have an outburst on top of the mountain. Roman had the outburst on top of the mountain. Right. But they also were telling the truth in that he is erratic and crazy and, like, a terrible person. Yeah. And Kendall ends up being vindicated at the end of the episode because Lucas does exactly what he said that he did on the <laughs> top of the mountain, even though Lucas wasn't being crazy at the top of the mountain. No. Lucas ship posts, very Elon Musk-esque. Shiv kind of asked him to do that. I mean, she didn't ask him to do that. Yeah. But she said maybe we could disrupt it a little bit. And then, you know, she's trying to kind of doing Matt's, Matson's bidding, like whispering in Roman's ear, like maybe, I don't know, maybe we should just like postpone this, yeah. you know. Like so Shiv is working her own agenda, but the problem is in order for her to win to get in bed with Matson, I don't mean literally, but like, but you know, to, to make common cause with Matson, it's like yeah, maybe you'll beat your brothers on this thing, but, like, that's not a good alliance to have. No. He's he, totally not reliable and erratic and strange and, um, I think, sort of emotionless, you know. Yes, and potentially a bad person. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So I, I feel like it, this was an interesting episode of Shiv. You know, she's doing stuff in private. She has her crying time in the room. Scheduled grief. Scheduled grief. And she's, do, you know, we'll talk more about the uh, Tom Shiv flirtation stuff uh, when we go to our mailbag section. But, like, Shiv is, like, Doing okay compared to her brothers, mm-hmm. but I wonder how far away from their sort of trust she can wander before it's re- it becomes really bad. Well, that's interesting just because we – people went gangbusters for the sibling hug at the end of episode three yeah. when they hug in sort of a really beautiful 
way, and they're all deeply connected. And then we get a little redux of a hug this episode that is com- not that in any way, shape, or form. It's perfunctory. It doesn't it's have the same. It doesn't have the same magic. It didn't. The spell doesn't work again. The spell doesn't work again. It is because Shiv has been effectively betrayed by her brothers, and she learns that yeah. in real time, right after Kendall swoops in and takes her seat at the board meeting, literally, or at the meeting about what to do about Living Plus. He takes her seat. She now has the information from her play in tete-a-tete with Lucas Matson yeah. that they acted weird on the mountain. Lucas was like, they were weird and really unprofessional. And his story was a lot more credible than theirs because yeah. they're not good at what – she says, you're so bad at you're this. Boys, you're not good at this. Hey, Dad, Shiv spilled chocolate milk in the Range Rover. You're trying to fuck the deal. No, we're no. not. No, yeah. we're not trying to but fuck the deal. But you failed to mention this very fucking interesting incident, even as a bit of gossip. Shiv – and this is now the second major betrayal that Shiv has felt. First it was Tom last season. Mm-hmm. Now it's her brothers who she really wanted to be in on. She's really all in on Pierce, it seems. And for her to be iced out and betrayed in that way, no. That like that was bullshit. She knew that was bullshit. That hug was bullshit. And I honestly think her scheduled grief crying wasn't really about Logan. It was about the betrayal of her yeah, brothers. I agree. I totally read it that way as well. And it's a sadness and it's also, I'm sure, a frustration of like, Look at these two dopes. They can't even tell one good lie about a crazy Swedish guy yeah. who definitely probably would do something off-putting and maybe make you question the sale. But they couldn't even make they up a good version of that. They couldn't even do that. You know, and folded, like, instantly. The minute she interrogated them. Yeah. Kendall was like, oh, yeah, no, sorry, we were lying. <laughs> yeah. It was like, we were trying to protect you. So I, I'm very curious to see how she kind of moves forward. And I think that... You know, the show has been dropping these hints about the election. We have Joy talking about it now. Mm -hmm. Shiv has this political background. I I don't know. I'm sort of curious. They mentioned her work in D.C. again this episode for the first time in a long time, time. I feel like. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I feel like they're setting Shiv up for maybe some kind of absolute severing of all ties or or something. Because as much as, like, the brothers are, like, letting her in on the stuff now and She's chosen a side, which isn't them. Yeah. And they don't know that. They don't know that. And while that side is, I think, just as dangerous and as unpredictable as we've seen from Matson's tweeting, Matson has yet to betray her. He's got that going for him. That's true. That's true. Nothing he's done to her directly has been against against her. Yeah. He's he's like – Knows that Shiv wants to sail, and so he's like, let's make it happen. He is maybe stretching that closeness a bit by like – being like, I don't know, do whatever you have to do, like get them to not do this thing. And she's like, I'm not going to like drop stage lights on people's heads. Like this thing is going forward. I don't have the power to stop it. Yeah. All she can do is whisper in people's ears and then maybe say to Madsen, like, just do one of your weird things to like screw things screw up for things a bit. Up. And yeah. then he does. Yeah. But then, but then, then he deletes fire. the tweet. But then he deletes the tweet. Why? I don't know. And that ends up helping Kendall. And then Kendall and Roman win again. Yeah, well, anyway, it's an interesting game they're playing. But yes, we'll talk more about uh, Tom and Shiv uh, a bit later. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, a conversation with director Lorene Scafaria, and we'll unpack Tom and Shiv's love triangle. The Run for Revoke is where you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am Fran Libowitz. Um... We should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah, that. we support that. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. Nikki. Yes. It's been really great she being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asher, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs> On the podcast, you'll learn how Vogue really works. Sometimes we'll come in for a second or even third run through until we are... AWOK. Can you tell us what AWOK means? It means um, A-W-O-K and a winter okay. I'm Cho Minardi. And I'm Chloe Mal. And we're the hosts of The Run Through with Vogue, where fashion and culture collide. Join us. It's AWOK. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You can earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. 
Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I feel a bit like Tom taking the stage after Kendall. How do you follow an episode that promised eternal life? Well, you talk to the director. Living Plus is directed by Lorene Scafaria. She's best known for writing and directing films such as Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, The Meddler, and Hustlers. The Meddler, by the way, was Vanity Fair's number one movie of 2016, according to yours truly. chosen by Richard. (laughs) And for Succession, Scafaria previously directed Honeymoon States, the first episode after Logan's death, and Too Much Birthday, the one with Kendall's epic 40th birthday party. Well, Loreen Scafaria, thank you for being with us. Uh, What a thrill to talk to you about this wild and woolly episode. Yeah, (laughs) really fantastic. (laughs) Thank you so much. Between this and Kendall's birthday party, which you also directed that episode, you're kind of the queen of Kendall cringe. (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Why are you so good at getting him at his most embarrassing? Like, it's so squirm-inducing. I don't know. I think I've just been really lucky getting episodes that have very full Kendall arcs. I feel like the three that I got to do are actually a nice little Kendall trilogy in a way. (laughs) But um, I don't know. I mean, there's just so much anxiety built in to the show and to the idea of Kendall getting up on stage. I mean, obviously... You know, in an episode I did not do, we saw him rap to his dad on his birthday and we saw that he was going to sing Billy Joel on a cross. And of course, the writers subverted those expectations, I think, only to follow through with this and do the completely unexpected thing of giving him a win. So I don't know. It does feel full circle for me. In a way. Yeah, he got you got to end on a grace note with him. Yes. Um, Chris and I are both theater people by training and in Chris's case, actual mm-hmm practice. Um, So I'm curious about the mechanics of like this stage show with the cloud machine and all that. What was that sort of like to to kind of it's you're like making it a little piece of theater within a TV show. Yeah, Kendall as director really it was fascinating. He he had the ego of like a high school theater director <laughs> building his set. We loved it. Yeah, we did love that. And I mean, I think, you know, in a way it's it's even a little bit of a wink to me of, I think, what people assume of Jeremy as an actor, that there's so many ideas that he brings to it, which he, which he really does. But I think Kendall, you know, he's got this certain, he's got a couple of states, right? You know, I mean, in, in 307, we took him from a very manic state to a depressive one. And in this one, I think after getting this taste of power that that has returned by 404 and gets bigger by 405. I think here he's just fully manic, got that gleam in his eye with uh, all of his big ideas. Um, This was, I mean, this was a daunting day. I I can certainly say on set, you know, it was like a seven camera day. We had five film cameras placed around the theater, just wanting to connect him with the audience and build that up. And then there were these two video cameras, you know, one in a, in a wide from the back and one that tracked with Kendall in a close-up. And it played on the two screens on either side of him. And it, it was so strange that when we had the video camera on a certain side of the stage, it felt like a typical product launch. But when we switched it to the other side, it suddenly felt incredibly fascist. <laughs> I can't explain <laughs> why. Um, but, you know, we really wanted to build up all of that anxiety. And we talked a lot about, you know, various launches. I I feel like the references are somewhat obvious and maybe better not to call them out by name, but capturing that somewhat pathetic corporate excitement, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but also add the Kendall spin to everything. Of course, he's walking out to public enemy. Uh, You know, we wanted to give him that mini rock star entrance and some, some flashing lights and, And then the idea was we had these three spots that followed Kendall. So there are these moments when you see him casting three shadows on the floor that feel a little like these echoes of his siblings, but he's, you know, truly up there all alone. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, seeing him even, even just preparing ahead of time, you know, this poor group of people trying to realize Ken's grandiose ideas of building a living plus house, my face aging on the wall, clouds he saw in Berlin. <laughs> it was just, yeah. it just kept building and building. I mean, it's just obviously just great writing. And then the beauty again of getting someone like Jeremy uh, to add some ideas. I mean, this flight jacket, I, I just have to give him full credit for coming up with this. And of course, 
costume designer, Michelle Matlin, who I think told an entire story with the placement of the, the red ATN patch on Ken's arm. But, you know, on one hand, it's like this fun loving Top Gun homage. <laughs> and on wow. the other, it just conjures up such dark, dark feelings. But, you know, Jeremy was the one who came up with that. I couldn't help but encourage it. And of course, Jesse and everyone fully embracing it. And suddenly Roman has a second jacket hanging there. <laughs> they both yeah. they both say CEO on it. It's just, you know, just a brilliant teamwork by the entire group all around. That's so cool that that was Jeremy's idea. That And it's so collaborative and that you made it uh, a possibility. You brought it to life. Well, yes, yeah, the beautiful um, thing. I mean, having someone like Jesse at the helm, you know, they have such a clear vision for what they want the story to do and, and, and say, but they, they just keep it alive. They just allow for new ideas to come from different places and change their mind and allow art to imitate life. <laughs> so, mm. yeah, <laughs> it's uh, evolving. There was another sort of meta director moment that I think you were directly involved in this episode <laughs> with the return of Brian Cox <laughs> yeah. at the very beginning. I couldn't be more excited. Can and I stop I- you there? Sorry, the, the thought is, uh, can we maybe do just just one more? If I'm not mistaken, you were also the voice directing Logan in that promotional shoot. Yes, yes, yes. it was uh, very difficult to play a director mildly intimidated by Brian Cox. So, um, yeah, that was, I mean, that was a dream. As you can imagine, after episode three, I did not imagine I'd be working with Brian uh, again. And suddenly at the table read, there was this opening scene, which of course was just thrilling to think of the audible gasp for the audience opening the episode on Logan. I mean, I love seeing him in this like surreal setting to the strange green screen behind him, his eyes like right in the clapper (laughs) in front of his face. (laughs) But at some point, Mm -hmm. Jesse asked if I'd play the role of director. I can safely say it was the most nervous I've ever been on the set of Succession, like hands down acting opposite him. Even though I was off camera, I was just sweating down to my waist. I brought a change of clothes that day. (laughs) It was just a a nightmare, but I mean, of course, a dream. It was so great to have Brian back on set, just resurrected. Everybody was uh, on their best behavior. Very happy. (laughs) Well, you were fantastic. You really, you really uh, sold the bit. <laughs> so, you know, one thing that I think is so impressive about your direction of the show and, and the way that the show just manages tones is you have like Kendall having this, I don't know, spiral into messianic, whatever, he, whatever journey he's on um, that, yes, again, does have a sort of nice ending for him. Um and then you have this sort of sort of sultry, odd mystery of what's happening with Shiv and Tom and Matson. How did you approach that material of this episode? Like, what was the tone you were trying to strike with the Shiv component of the episode? You know, the scripts come in really long, and the episode is so sprawling. There's so many locations in this. I'd never seen these places before in a way, Waystar Studios, Waystar LA. So it felt like this little movie on the page. And I think since it was the LA episode, we just decided to have a little fun with that and Mm -hmm. lean into it. But, you know, when you're given scenes like this for Shiv and Tom, I mean, the the cry room and and mm. bitey and um, this this post coital conversation between them, you know, every day was just a treat for me. I'm a I'm a big Shiv and Tom. I don't I don't know how to say fan because it's like <laughs> rooting for your parents to get back together or something. It's a, it's a little, it's a little tough, but, um, but each one of those was just, I mean, Sarah just breaks your heart. And I think after everything that Shiv has been through up until this point, being cut out and not knowing where her alliances should land, taking her from being absolutely furious with her brothers into this, into crying and these tears of frustration and loneliness and her brothers, Matt's and Tom, you know, her dad. I mean, I don't know. It's like this sense of creature comfort. I think for some reason, sex just swirls around death, like wartime or something. And Tom, he, in 403, I mean, he was that voice on the phone. You know, he, there's a reason it was him. And so with this slow move back to each other, especially after sort of their bizarre 
I don't know what you'd call it, like chicken dance with each other in 405. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. I just wanted to make it really kind of sexy between them and see some of that spark that maybe it was there in the beginning. And uh, I could say, I mean, Bitey was just electrifying to watch. You know, we (laughs) talked about this. It's like they've already kissed under the bleachers. So now they're teenagers at a party and sometimes you're facing one way and your body's twisting around flirtatiously. I just didn't want them to feel like they had to be in any particular position other than just what you do with your bodies when you're, when you're not so sure when you're, when you're flirting with disaster like that. So um, of course their expression of love can't help but have some, some violence in it of who can hurt the other more. I guess that's it. You know, I mean, it all comes from pain, right? And trauma. I mean, I know that's mm-hmm. at the root of everything. She's learned to associate love with pain, you know, these patterns and early impressions from childhood, the house you grew up in, the, what your parents' expressions of love are for each other and kids. I, I think you kind of don't know how to recognize those feelings unless they're familiar. And so then to take that energy into this post-coital conversation. That was, that for me was really just such a treat. There was probably a half hour where it was just the four of us, uh, well, five of us, because Lucy Preble, who's uh, just such a talented writer and incredible on set was also there and Jesse and Matthew and Sarah and myself. And, you know, we had this wall of mirrors and when we rehearsed a few times, they were sitting on the edge of the bed. I just really wanted to play with these reflections and kind of see them on their feet and again just keep that he's got that Mr. Darcy in there you know yeah he really does I I haven't forgotten um so (laughs) I think that's what is so oh god so exciting and tempting and confusing about their interactions with each other and then you know Matthew delivers this incredible speech about his values. And it's, he's so honest. I mean, money is, mm. it's like the last taboo yeah. still. And they, and they just have it in common and it brings them together and it sort of does make him the right man for her. I mean, their laugh at the end of that, that she, I mean, she's just so brilliant, but that they're just so playful and, you know, you're so suspicious <laughs> and yet yeah. so drawn in. So, um, yeah. You can't help but root for them a little bit after I that. Agree. After it's funny because as they, you know, that's a couple that's, you know, they've, they've had their ups and downs, and they sort of come together in some way. This episode, we see sort of a, what feels like a pretty major falling apart for another couple that the internet loves to ship: Re, Jerry, and Roman. Mm-hmm. And that scene was so fantastic. It felt so Shakespearean in scope in terms of Jerry seeing the future and seeing the writing on the wall for him, for him and trying to warn Roman and him not being able to take that advice. Can you tell me a little bit about directing that scene? You know, it was one of those things I remember because of scheduling and I think that, you know, various people were getting sick around that time. I remember we had to push that scene off until the end. And it was like all this anticipation building up to it for obviously all the reasons that, you know, as a fan of the show and as a fan of those two characters in every Mm -hmm. possible interaction, you know, there was just so much building up to it. I think also taking him off of firing the head of Waystar, feeling like he was undermined by her. And I think at that point, just triggered by this, you know, it's, it's everything. It's mom, it's dad, it's the years of being ignored and, um, you know, brought that intensity along with the pain that you saw. It kind of started in, in 403 in a way when, you know, yes, his dad told him to do it. But I think when Roman told Jerry he was sad and she just walked out of the room, I think that rejection was so painful. It's almost just like that mm. pain carried through. So firing Jerry's at once hurting her the way that she hurt him and and also finding a way to continue to fill his dad's shoes. But I mean, they're just filling with blood at this point, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's so yeah. intense. So, I mean, yeah, shooting that scene. I mean, Jay is so unbelievably good as always, <sighs> but getting to see her go off, I feel like she almost never gets to curse. This was something I learned from, you know, a graph of 
f bombs, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so I'm I'm glad we could add a few more for her there. But they just they just brought so much intensity to it, and it was the kind of thing where always with shooting scenes on this particular show, wanting to keep everything alive, there are certainly takes and you know you just try to get word perfect and uh, is that good for sound and then, but on a show like this you don't you just can't do that you have to let them mix it up and just mess with it so I know there was one take that I think was the probably ended up being the base for the you know edit but it was uh just them screaming at each other, talking over each other, and and just making it as real as possible. When you have two actors like that, I mean, they're just so, so good. The moment that I think got me and that we had fun with was just when she does say, you know, you're not your dad. I mean, it's funny how a show like this has held off on saying phrases like that. You know, even in 405, like Matson saying to Shiv, you, you're like your dad. Like, these moments that are just creeping in there finally at season four, you know, that really, really hammer this home. It was just one of those moments where I thought, let's give them a slow push rather than one of these snap zooms. Like this is something new is happening to Roman in this episode too. I mean, you're, wow. you're really watching him spiral down. I, I think that's part of the, part of the Ken trilogy to me is it's a, bit of a Roman trilogy too, because we saw him get the best of his siblings at the end of Kendall's birthday party. And, and here, you know, you just see Roman. I mean, that, that last scene in the car with Kieran, I I don't know, give him all the flowers, just give him the flowers. I was going to ask a, probably a a crude question about that last scene. Did Mr. Cox actually say those things or it was it actually audio edited like no, it was, from like it was audio edited it was so okay. wild we we actually shot Brian reciting the text that was going to you know we were going to pull all those words from and I remember him going what the hell am I saying <laughs> <laughs> it was like just hilarious but um but yeah so it was it was yeah cut together it is quite an episode, uh, and we really appreciate you taking the time to uh, tell us a bit about what it was like to make. And you've had such a great run on the sh- yeah. with the show. Congratulations. And I guess oh. it's had to end at some point, right? <laughs> but... Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been a joy. Still Watching will be back in just a moment. And when we return, we'll talk about Tom, Shiv, and your pitches on where Succession is headed. I'm Nomi Fry, and this week on Critics at Large, we're talking about the delights and shortcomings of the new movie Challengers. It starred Zendaya at the center of a tennis triangle and a very steamy love triangle. Who are her loyalties to? Will she be tempted by the other one? How do these guys reckon their professional playing ambition with their romantic and sexual feelings about this mysterious woman? And such we have it. We have a conflict between three people in a game meant for two. Is it a sports movie or a sex movie? Find out on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. New episodes drop every Thursday, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Chris, uh, as ever, we got some emails to our uh, Still Watching account, stillwatchingpod at gmail.com, and you selected a couple to talk about. So what's the first uh, listener email? Yes, thank you for emailing in. And please, please keep sending them. We love to hear your thoughts because you bring up things that we don't notice, like Liz Boyle, a family lawyer from Sydney, Australia. So Liz wrote, I was thinking about Shiv's complaint that Tom has conflicted out every good lawyer in Manhattan. Before they got married, Shiv had a prenup prepared. Tom got advice from his mom on the agreement. A lawyer prepared that for Shiv. Presumably, she chose someone good. They could not give advice later to Tom as they would have a conflict in doing so. It's a rare thing when there might be a wrong step in the pilot thought you'd like to know. So I think to sum that up, if Shiv had, which we know Shiv has a prenup because it sort of came up this episode, right. and she used a really great lawyer in Manhattan. Why not go back to that lawyer? Why not go back to that lawyer? Yeah. So that, okay, that might be a little bit of an oopsie on the show's part. Mm-hmm. 
But um, I think it might not matter because well, I don't think they're going to get divorced. Well, look at them now. Look at yeah, them. <laughs> yeah. Um, we didn't talk about it much uh, in the main part of the episode today because we wanted to talk about it right here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Lorene was able to provide some other insights into them, you know, bringing up the fact that Matthew McFadden does still have that Mr. Darcy oh, in him. And when he, when he turns it on, it's a little, little, little glimmer, a little flicker, and it mm. really works. Works on me. And I think Tom is obviously, since the beginning of the series, been sort of a comic character, been the buffoon, brilliantly played. But I like that this season, and in this episode in particular, we're getting to, like, see him as, like, a person who arrived somewhere. Like, he yeah. like he didn't just, like, emerge into being at Waystar Royco as a middle-aged man married to Shiv. He like, has a history. Like, he was young once. And, like, you know, he re- referenced that in episode four. The, the wake, you know, talking about when, when we first got together. And so having that further fleshed out, I think I appreciate. And it's the most honest I think I've heard a character on this show be about what is driving all of this. I mean, obviously Money. power is driving it yeah. too. But like for a lot of them, it's like I like nice things. It's scary to think about losing them. And in a situation where I have to choose between my already somewhat estranged wife and the money. I'm going to choose the money. And then Shiv is like, yeah, I get that. Yeah. Eventually. Eventually. I mean, I thought that was such I mean, that was such a great speech by Matthew McFadden and and the fact where he was like, yeah, you're laughing at me. You think I'm being sort of materialistic and superficial, but why don't you give away all your nice things right. and see how you feel? Lest we forget she was sitting on her private jet texting Lucas Matson on his private jet. Right. They all have a lot of nice things. And I think that sort of blatant, as Lorraine said, it's the last taboo, money. And for this echelon of the uber unbelievably wealthy, for Tom to have sort of fallen from, they make all these Midwestern jokes from, you know, Twin Falls, Minnesota or wherever, and to fall into this upper enclave of the 1%, of course he's always thinking about money. Most people are always thinking about money because they don't have the option not to. And now Tom is the closest representation to that that we have in this world. And he says that she never let him fully into her world. And that push and pull of their relationship and the fact that they're now finally, now that they've sort of ruined their relationship, there's nothing really left. They can rebuild it on what seems like might be a place of hard truths and honesty. I'm kind of rooting for them to sort of make it all the way. And then we have, which um, Lorene brought up, this wonderful moment with Bitey, which is literally their entire relationship encapsulated. Right. Who's going to flinch first? Who's going to flinch first? Who are going to put each other through so much pain? Yeah. But we're still holding on. Who's going to who's going to blink first? And this is after they're comparing notes about who broke the other's heart more. You know, she's saying the meanest, the nastiest thing about her, her previous boyfriend being the one, the actual one. And he was the one after the one Tom was. And like, that's just some nasty shit. But like he takes it in stride. I'm sure it stings internally, but also that's part of the game that they're playing. We don't forget, I'm actually constantly thinking about how Shiv is pregnant this entire time, which might explain some of the tears, but also we don't know if Tom knows. We don't know necessarily that he's the father, which actually does bring me to another email uh, from Tavi. Okay, so Tavi emailed and said... I think Shiv and Matson end up having a sexy rendezvous one night and people find out she's pregnant after, allowing her the opportunity to choose whether her narrative is that either Tom or Matson could be the father. Which, again, this did not happen, but this is just a potential idea of something that might happen. And I would say this episode lays potentially more groundwork in that Lucas clearly is interested in Shiv. And the ball, I think, is in her court whether or not to engage with that, but she seems to have picked Tom. She seems to have picked Tom, but she she's not getting rid of Matson, and he and Tom is aware that they have that thing going on. I think that Shiv might not be considering the probability that she's just Matson's man on the inside, yeah. essentially. Girl on the inside. Like what? A be- it's a better way to manipulate the brothers if he has another sibling who is like sending him text messages telling him what's going on which she shouldn't really be doing and she's then in turn asking him to sort of lightly sabotage you know and like yes maybe it is a quid pro quo kind of thing and they both want the same thing ultimately like i just i worry that shiv is like maybe that's a bad alliance to have yeah because he might not be viewing it as a 50 50 exchange yeah no that is very very fair. So who do you think won the episode? Did anyone win this episode? A lot. Uh, people are really making fools of themselves all over the place in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Or getting made fools of, I guess. Or getting, so I guess by who is the least clowny, <laughs> I guess Kendall at the end of the day. 
which yeah, I don't, yes, I see which I see what you mean. For him, it's a win. For him, it's a win. Yeah, yeah. I would have not have said Kendall just based off of his performance at the product launch, but given everyone kissing his ass again once he comes in and the numbers seem good and he seems happy and he's floating in the water at the end and he gets a little bit of that cathartic moment with his dad which is completely fake but is real enough to him make me think that Kendall again failed upward and notched another one and he's also in a good position now Lucas has done something crazy so his harebrained scheme has more weight to it so I'm gonna go with Kendall winning this episode okay um, I think Tom won because I think he got back in her graces in a, in a good, shrewd Tom way. He can be shrewd sometimes. Mm. He stated his case. He has, in essence, not apologized to her for this sin that now is moot because Logan's dead. But he's explained himself, and I think she's accepted his explanation. And so now he finally has an ally after weeks out in the cold. That's very that's very compelling. Um, and maybe the, if we're going to say, okay, who do we think is going to be the successor at the end of the series, maybe it's Tom and Shiv. Right now, I definitely don't think it's Roman. I would say Roman probably lost the episode um, for me. Well, it was a good reminder that he's been an asshole this whole time. Yeah. <laughs> as funny and yeah. as charming as he can be, he and, is an asshole. And he can do the wounded, you know, oh, I'm sad thing. But he's – they're all monsters. Yeah. Let's not forget that. <laughs> Well, that does it for this episode of Still Watching. Please send us your questions, concerns, feelings of injustice, theories, whatever, at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com. Or you can find me on Twitter and on Instagram at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Christress, C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our producer is Emily Elias, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes. We had technical assistance from Gabe Quiroga. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer, and our theme music is by Alexis Quadrado. We'll be back next week for episode seven. Looking forward to seeing you then. Fucking amateur hour. Wake me up when it's over. Hey, I'm Brian Stelter, host of Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. This week, with the help of Dan Adler and Olivia Nuzzi, we're going inside the media circus swirling around Donald Trump's criminal trial. People want coverage of Donald Trump. There are sort of shades of 2015, 2016. I found it to be a a total break from the reaction to a lot of Trump coverage in the last two years. Join me, Brian Stelter, on Inside the Hive from Vanity Fair. Listen wherever you get podcasts.